welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we should have a very interesting show. It's going to be a little briefer than usual uh, because I'll be speaking with you on a very beautiful day that is calling to me. And um, it is really up to me to respond and reply, as well as our uh, guest today um, has been eclipsed. He was going to come here to speak about his experience directly of the solar eclipse in Kentucky, but it appears that life has eclipsed him and that means we may not be speaking with David Katzmeyer here anytime soon. Maybe through the ethers, I don't know, but we'll wait and see what happens. So I want to just say initially that, uh, you know, there is so much going on these days. We don't know what is causing what so much, but to some extent we do. In other words, just thinking that there is a linear cause and effect, a linear progression, if this, then that, if this, then that, or if that, then this, is to some extent true. But we who think holistically recognize the interstitial interfaces between all elements of this precious universe of ours. Another way of saying that is the photonic bombardment we experience every day from our sun, from the lunar effects on our earth, in fact, even on the body of water that we embody, quite literally. Our body is 80% water, so uh, we know the effect that's measurable of the moon on women, but in fact, it's on all of us. So when there's something like a solar eclipse, We're looking at the phenomena of, you could say, astronomical or cosmic effects on Earth more than usual. And wouldn't you know it, a matter of weeks later, we're looking at the torrential, torrential storm, Hurricane Category 5 in Houston, Texas, U.S. of A. Now, no, I am not drawing a line. That's my whole point between X phenomenon and Y or Z. But I am saying that there is what we call in quantum physics the butterfly effect. So there is a field phenomena occurring that is allowing for the interfacing on intermingling of many different For instance, I'd like to just take a moment to look at this utterly powerful storm that has taken place, this hurricane, where it is the most flooding that has ever taken place in all of recorded U.S. history. I mean, they are up to some 40 or so inches in a matter of days of rainfall, something of that sort. It is so enormous that they simply cannot keep abreast of all that's happening. Even the centers they have for 
evacuation for the evacuees is beginning to get flooded. So wherever they go in the general Houston environment is almost virtually underwater. It's a city underwater. Phenomenal. So one of the interesting effects that has been noted is that over the past oh, 30 years, 25 years, there has been a 24% increase in the amount of pavement in Houston. Well, you know, just as Joni Mitchell's song used to say, and they put up bucking lots. Yeah, right. Well, when you do that, guess what you're covering up? You're covering up green. You're covering up, covering up soil. You're covering up grass and dirt. The dirt absorbs, of course. The lawn absorbs water and sequesters it, as it does carbon, by the way. And if the dirt isn't there because pavement is there, concrete is there, asphalt is there, well, you're not going to be able to absorb this kind of rainfall. I mean, it's even arguable that if there were 24% less pavement, as there had been, it might not have been absorbable anyway because of the, uh, the magnitude of this amount of rainfall. But you're getting the relationship to the extent that there is the natural phenomenon of grass and dirt and forests. To that extent, water can be best absorbed to the extent that there is a man-made urban environment landscape with lots of asphalt and concrete, to that commensurate extent, you will not have the absorption that you need. And man-made sewers ain't enough. How do we know? Well, we have a proof positive of it right here. So this is one of the phenomena. The other is just the marginalization of nature in a city. So, yes, you've got more pavement and you've got less parks, fewer parks. You've got less uh, uh, park and, and just forest area surrounding the city because suburbs grow up and they're all paved over. You see the phenomenon. So we're looking at Houston today and we're seeing that it is a bit of a hub for the collection of water, quite honestly. Now, there are probably also um, larger uh, geographical considerations having to do with its proximity to the Gulf, to the oceans, dealing with currents, dealing with wind flows, um, and wind patterns, um, and the formation of storms in Houston is further coupled and complicated by the presence of many chemical factories and oil uh, refineries which are allowing for all sorts of chemicalization of the air, of fur in the air, evaporation rates, and in fact I think that's probably a very major thing based on what I've been hearing lately. The uh, James Hansen 
this morning was being interviewed by by Amy Goodman, and one of the subjects was the whole subject of vaporization and evaporation and the increased collection of water in the air then changes the physics of the air and therefore, of course, the weather patterns and the climate and you can become more vulnerable to more uh, extreme forms of weather. And indeed, that's what we see is happening. So looked at as a total picture, you see a confluence of variables that collude, a little bit more collusion, folks, uh, colluding to create conditions. Wow, there are a lot of C's in that that sentence. Um, A collusion, a conspiracy of conditions that would allow for, give rise to a scenario like this. Well, you have to ask, like, how many other places on the planet is this happening? It's a very important question. How many other places? Well, we know that something similar was happening in um, Bangladesh and India, Mumbai actually in particular. More flooding there also, where I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, 1,500 people lost their lives over here in Texas, horrible as it is. It's more like 14 people. So on the level of sheer quantity, you have something, you know, a a thousand times more severe over there, you know, or actually a hundred, more than a hundred. But that's just the beginning. And this kind of thing is happening routinely. Look at what just happened in Sierra Leone. It's another example. And what makes the news? What gets covered by the media? Don't get me started. That's a whole other question. The, the media, the mainstream media and cable TV, frame the questions and engage the conversations they want to. And the ones that they want to bring forward and shape and include in the news cycle are ones that actually have a cash value to them because it pleases their advertisers and they can come up with sexy headlines and splash it across the waves and catch people's attention, which is flitting at best. So you've got some flits flitting their flittery stuff, talking about Twitter all along, and the viewers have their own flittering attention that are catching the flittering of the media. So what do we get? We get about a a flit squared or cubed. And what has happened to the human mind and the quality of human attention and, and scope and breadth of thinking becomes on the head of a pin in terms of focus because that's kind of cool, but rather how inclusive is it of all the things happening that we suppose or imagine or can conceive we should be thinking about and receiving feedback on information about. You with me? 
So the media draws the lines about what we should be hearing, whether it's questions regarding the climate, and that's the saddest of them all, because what's going on with weather patterns, extreme weather, what we call global warming, what we call climate change, is utterly excluded from the news cycle. It's just too debilitating to their advertisers to actually reckon with the truth. So they have a very easy remedy. Avoid it. Talk about other things. Who will know? Because we all know that whatever they're discussing on MSNBC and CBS and CNN is what is the true newsworthy items of the day. How do we know? Because they're talking about it. Right? Wrong. Not. Yet. Nah. uh uh Unfortunately, it really doesn't go this way. We've been eclipsed again, folks. Not just that big 99-year eclipse that took place just a few brief weeks ago, but we're being eclipsed of knowledge and information and certainly of the truth every single hour of every single day. There are a handful of excellent sources where you will be getting way closer to the truth, where there are serious, real efforts to report the truth. And you really can get a handle on more realistic perspectives, purviews, understandings, relative understandings, etc., than you will on the bought and paid for, commercially driven media that we are all subject to, Orwellian style, every day and night through the, what do they call it, the boob box. Is that what we used to call it, the boob box? Yes, the television set. You know, it's too bad. The television set itself shouldn't be criticized. It's just the medium. It's just the hardware. It's we humans that fill it with nonsense all too often, I should say with some beautiful exceptions. It's not the thing itself. It's just the hardware. We're the software. And some people are just too soft in the brain to have good software, (laughs) if you will, if you'll indulge me, the play on words. Anyway, the seriousness of the matter is serious. Indeed, it really is, because we are not being given the true story of what's going on in our planet, the loss of species, the melting of the uh, of the glaciers, um, Larsen B, Antarctica, Arctic, Greenland size glacial melts, the loss of polar bears, the loss of frogs, the loss of bees, the diminution of of species literally daily and this is because of anthropos yes anthropogenic activity that is man made man generated activity typically for his own self aggrandizement 
because his image, by and large, of himself is so weak, is so thin, is so hollow that he seeks to fill up his sense of self with ownership, strange idea in itself, when you think from the eyes of nature, of ownership and control and dominion, a word that comes directly from the Bible, over nature, over things, over nouns of all sorts, over people, his own brothers and sisters, dominion. This is a problem. Domino, Latin, Lord, God. There are serious problems here, serious problems that we've generated that have been going on literally for millennia to varying degrees. And now the degrees are rising. They're going up and up and up like never before. There are some places on the on the surface of the earth that are scorching like Iran, like Arizona, like Mexico. There are places that are so hot, people can hardly live. And we're on a cycle, because in order to live in those environments, you have to generate a lot of air conditioning to stay cool enough to actually be able to breathe. That's how true and fundamentally important air conditioning has become. Well, how do we get air conditioning? If you follow back the food chain, you'll see that air conditioning is very expensive to our planet, not only to our pocketbook. And it's costing us typically the burning of coal. Very uncommonly would it be the receiving of photons, a much more elegant and intelligent way of going about generating electricity. But when you look at the whole cycle, it makes you want to cry because you have to destroy by punching holes in the earth, by excavating oil or coal in order and then refine it and then burn it and then convert it. I mean, this is like uh, a barbarian's type of lifestyle, which... Maybe back in the 18th century, okay, 18th century, early 19th century, we didn't know any better. Tesla hadn't come along yet. And we had to do these rather primitive things to run an electrical grid. But, early 20th century. But when Tesla came along, we had the opportunity to change the whole conversation but no, they didn't do that. They did to him what they basically did to Jesus. They hung him out to dry. He wanted to give it away. Okay, let's just say that wasn't such a good business model. Okay, I mean, come on. Let's, let's be realistic. We live in a world of currency exchange. But were there ways to use natural resources benevolently Um, eco-friendly, sustainably, so that 
let's say there is a bit of profit being made by companies who took the risk to build the structures, the infrastructure, to uh, produce and to disseminate such things as electricity. And it wouldn't have to call it cost a fortune. And it wouldn't have to cost us our natural resources in the way that we went. I mean, do you know that Henry Ford actually had an electric car at the turn of the 20th century? Meaning that we wouldn't have had to go down the Rockefeller path of Standard Oil and go the oil-gasoline route. We could have gone the electric car route from the beginning. And all of the highways, the entire highway system, might not have had to get built out the way it did. And we could have been focusing more on public transportation. Now, what is the relevance of all of this to being eclipsed, you could ask, or to the other sub-conversation having to do with Houston and the disaster that has hit it naturally, climatically, uh, weatherly, Uh, And I'm saying that it really is largely anthropogenic. Yes, folks, I am. Do I recognize natural cycles? Uh, Yes. I live in New York and New England. I am very aware of natural cycles, and I love them. I am alive. I have natural cycles happening inside my very own body, as do all of you. So cycles are part of everything, always, all the time, on the presently. Yes, and, und. So what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? Do ice ages happen? Yes. Do heating stages happen? Yes. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, these happen once every, you know, maybe uh tens of thousands of years, there are smaller cycles and there are larger and longer cycles. Granted, however, our science across the planet, in every language, with every different kind of cultural headset, has come up with the objective understanding and conclusion that human beings affect on the planet, on the atmosphere, in the soil, everywhere is seriously polluting and exacerbating natural cycles to the extent that they're almost not even recognizable. So that's what's happening. You know, because people are so weird and so monetarily driven, and the climate conversation is so linked to so much money in the traditional fossil fuel economy. I have almost stopped, not truly, but I have changed the conversation to say, you know what, let's just talk about pollution, folks the way we did in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. Well, of course, the climate change conversation was gaining momentum as well, no question. 
But prior to that conversation really was one simply about pollution. We're polluting the air, we're polluting the water, we're polluting the soil, big time. Now, those forms of pollution collude, yet again, to affect everything, everything. And they do lead to what it is I'm talking about here. And that is global warming and climate change. But that aside, if we didn't ever use either of those phrases and we just addressed the subject, air and water and soil pollution, we and we decided to conquer those things because we saw that they were horrible for our lungs, they were horrible for our health, that children were dying en masse by breathing polluted air, carbon monoxide, excess carbon dioxide, etc., etc., that we should not be deforesting the way we do, etc., we would have a different world today, and parenthetically, the entire global warming and climate change conversation would be very different, very different. It would be, pardon the expression, watered down. It wouldn't be as extreme. We would be in a different condition. Our health would be way better from children to the elderly. It would be different. How do we say how severe the situation is. And who is here to stand up and act on behalf of the earth and life itself? Well, thankfully, there are actually millions upon millions of people. A lot of this was outlined in Blessed Paul Hawkins' book, Blessed Unrest in which he lays out that there are literally millions of organizations, B corporations, C corporations, 501c3s, religious organizations, NGOs, boy, so many acronyms, but you know what I mean, all over the planet, on the micro level, on the local economic level, on the village level in Bangladesh and India, all over Southeast Asia, all of Australia, all over Africa, all over South America, all over Latin America. Least probably is in North America, although here too definitely have farm to table. We have increasing awareness and interest in small village, small economies, even local currencies. The transition town transition towns movement there is actually a lot going on among some very thoughtful reflective intelligent people deeply caring that's what we have to remember it's a very small motley crew of people who are making and have the position to be making these systemic global decisions and affecting government's legislation that are trickling down. That's what trickles down to us all. Not money, but hardship. Hardship trickles down. And boy, is it trickling. 
because we have, like, literally under-intelligent, low IQ, virtually no EQ, emotional intelligence quotient in our so-called leaders. They're not leaders. They're just in positions of leadership without leading. They are politicians. They are self-interested doing their own business on our dime. It's horrific, quite honestly. But take take stock, please. That's why I'm saying all of this. The fact is that that 1% is 1% of 100. And that other 99 Well, it might not be 99% who are acting on behalf of everybody and the common good, the public good. Maybe it's not 99. No, I'm not confused about that. But what what if it were 20? Well, it's still 20 times more than 1%. What if it were 30? What if it were hedging toward 40? You see where I'm going with this. It's very serious. We have the numbers on our side. Even take a quick glance of what's been going on with this uh, this white nationalist racist movement that has been kicked up, I believe, personally, largely because of the cues given by then-presidential candidate uh, Donald Trump and now President Donald Trump, hard as it is to believe, completely hard to believe, has given definite signs and signals that it's okay to be racist. And it's, it's more implicit than explicit, but it's also been explicit. If you really actually listen to the words and the nuances and the overtones and the undertones and the attitudes, you get it. And then some flowery words about we're all being brothers and sisters, but... He's got no heart in it. And don't think that people don't hear it. The racist nationalists feel supported by the White House. And what could be sadder than that? They actually also feel supported by the Attorney General's Office and the Judicial, the Justice Department. I mean, what could be sadder than that? Here we are in 2017 nonsense that persists and the kind of poor, poor, poor education that is available in our public school systems across the country where people can actually grow up and believe in the superiority of one color over another. I mean, you would think that you were, I don't know where. Who could get an education or dispense such an education as this? But it's not a deeply spiritual one, I can tell you that. It's not one based on physics and science, I can tell you that. (laughs) So we're living in a dark age. Well, of course, the Indians have been telling us that for thousands of years. It's called the Kali Yuga, and we're still there. We're still deeply, deeply ensconced. Are we going to surface out of it? Oh, God, let's hope so. Soon. Thankfully, there are people that are doing so much to do what can, really, uh, to create a better world for all 
think of the activities I'm engaged in alone. And there are so many people doing fantastic things all over the planet, as I keep saying. And it's remarkable, and it is laudable, and it's applaudable. It truly is. It truly is. And I honestly don't doubt for one second that a lot of my listeners here are among those people who are change agents, who are game changers, who are really looking to make the world a better place on many levels, globally and locally. And I really want to emphasize the local piece of it because um, uh, that's where people live. We live on a global level by and large. And if we can make changes in our own homes, literally, and in our communities, we have done so much to change the ethos and then the consensus and the education and the value system right here at home. Now, my home happens to be New York City, you know, so I have a bit of a larger expanded version of a home than most. But nonetheless, New York is actually in some ways parochial. It has neighborhoods. Because there's only so much any one person can digest in terms of the different rungs and rings and circles of our of our lives. So Kality, while remaining universally connected, you know, as they say, think globally, act locally, yes. This is the next step. You know, think universally, act globally and locally. <laughs> That's kind of the way I put it. Just a fun example. Um I'm working on some what could be pretty big solar projects that could be changing countries. I'm working on, I'm connected with some microhydro projects that could also change the lives of millions of people. I'm working on a water conservation recycling project that could bring water and conserve water in drought-ridden areas around the world. So I personally like working on these kind of larger movements, these larger systems types of projects. However, that doesn't preempt or preclude anything I'm doing right here in my own kitchen with with recycling and with composting and with food choices and air choices and water choices and filtration and exercise and stress management and taking care of myself and taking care of my family and taking care of my clients and taking care of my groups and taking care of my students. It's all a piece of the whole. And each of us is destined. So hope and commitment and a little faith are all the magic ingredients for living a meaningful life, definitely, and being part of something larger than ourselves, something to which we contribute our mind, our heart, our soul, and our bodily energy to something larger than ourselves. We are part of a community much larger than ourselves. And it's to that that we need to dedicate ourselves. And let me tell you, by doing so, make no mistake, in the counseling and the coaching that I do 
with my clients and my students, these are the subjects at hand. How do we clean up our own personal space? In the Buddhist tradition, we call that hinayana, clearing up one's own mind, one's own fertile field, so we're not too confused, that we're not too subjective, that we're not too foggy, that we're not too self-involved, that we can step out more objectively and take a look at the world around us and take stock of what it is that's going on and what needs to go on so that we can have a harmonious life in our outside world, so to speak, our outer ecology, which can flow and be harmonious when we have addressed the issues of our inner ecology, our inner conflict, our conflict among our family members, our conflict at the job with our business partners. You see, there's a place we can come to inside ourselves It's called awareness. It's called mindfulness of the contents of our mind, of the structure of our system, the literal physical structure of how our brain works, of what it's based on, of our own biology, our own physiology, and the way it is nature herself embodied in our body. I know that sounds redundant. But it's true. Embody nature. We're not separate from nature, despite Descartes. Despite Descartes. I had Fritoff Capra on for a few shows talking about the system's view of life. It's a systemic story, folks. It is a holistic, synthetic story. It's the synthesis of all variables in this life. And it's dealing with physics, it's dealing with chemistry, it's dealing with electricity, it's dealing with magnetism, it's dealing with gravity, it's dealing with the opposite of gravity, it's dealing with quanta. These are all the component parts of our health, our life, our nutrition, We have physical nutrition, we have emotional nutrition, and we have spiritual nutrition. And if we're not getting fed all of them every single day, eh, we start to feel out of sorts. Our stress levels begin to increase. We don't feel so good. We're not in the flow of the Tao. And when we step out, we go from what in Buddhist psychology is called the... Um, Mahayana from the Hinayana the lesser vehicle to the Mahayana which is the greater vehicle which gives rise to the idea of the Bodhisattva the Bodhisattva is a being who works for the liberation of all sentient beings including and actually first himself but he realizes that in order to liberate others one has to be liberated oneself. Interesting. So to serve others, one is serving oneself. By serving oneself properly, one is helping to serve and liberate others. I think it's genius. (laughs) I think. It's not that 
it, Buddhism, of course, the Buddhist thinking is genius in so many ways, but so is the larger picture, if you want to call it the divine hand, or God, or the intelligence of the universe, or the spiritual quality of life itself that allows for and structured things in a way that to give is to receive. I mean, that's brilliant. I mean, it's just a brilliant construction. The thing that gets me a little bit is the food chain, the way everybody is eating each other, and we're always being eaten and we're always eating. Wow, that's a different kind of conversation. But it is interesting. It seems uh, contrary, but in some elegant way, it is part of the entire whoop and wharf and whoop and warp of our society. Whoop and warp. What an interesting thing. Wolf and warp. I think that's what it is for you seamstresses out there. Anyway, it is important to say that I acknowledge all of you who are listening as people who are part of the solution, who are part of a better world. And by the statistics, I see that, yes, most of the listeners are in the United States, but we have a whopping number of people that listen from the UK, from Australia, from Russia, some from Denmark, some from South Africa, some from South America. It's awesome that we have formed this family here who come and listen every week to A Better World with Mitchell J. Rabin. I am so honored. I really am. And I also pray that you forward the links and keep the word going, keep the message up, stay joyful, stay in tune, stay committed. We have a rough ride, folks. It's hard to believe how rough it is. But we can do it also with a smile on our face and a sense of sobriety and a sense of center as we keep our feet on the ground with one foot in front of the other as we deal with these challenges that the 1%, by and large, have created, that we have all been sheep to for just too long, or we fight, or we vary, or step out of the system, as usual, as we've been doing here at A Better World, and certainly in my life, for all my life. But there's a level involvement in the systems that set up the, the commercialized, the consumerist environment ethos in which we all live that we don't escape. And by the way, it's not like all bad. That's just not the case. A lot of it is quite beautiful and quite wonderful. But in proportion, in balance, in harmony, that's how things can work. Anyway, listen, I want to just thank you all from everywhere you may be listening to this. We have a lot of great shows coming up, and I want you to be tuned in. There's going to be a wonderful uh, conference taking place out in Boulder in early November. A Better World is going to be part of for farmers and ranchers, all about dirt. Yep, 
It's all about soil and dirt, folks, and it's about how to treat her well and how to prosper and while being eco-friendly and carbon sequestering, all in the same shot. Go to www.attheepicenter.com, attheepicenter.com. And, of course, we'll have it on our website at abetterworld.tv in short order. So that's what's going on, folks. Remember that if you want counseling sessions or coaching with me, call me at 212-420-0800, or if you're out of the country and want to contact me by email or in this country, mjr at abetterworld.net. That's mjr at abetterworld.net. I always appreciate your input as well of what shows you prefer, what subjects you like, what you feel needs to be dug into, I'm always open to listening to your suggestions. I want to remind you also that I will be running a retreat in the beautiful Catskill Mountains in Wyndham, New York, on November, September 22nd through 24th. It's not expensive. It's fair. We'll be doing a lot of Qigong on the ground of Mother Earth herself. We will be doing therapeutic theater and helping people learn about healthy communication, personal development, therapeutic theater, role-playing, and stress management all together. It's really a story about personal leadership and developing ourselves in such a way that we can serve our own families, our neighborhoods, our villages, our towns, being healthy. And part of the preparation is building physical and emotional health. And that becomes the basis for being useful in the world. So if you are interested in that workshop, we have a limited retreat, a limited number of places but you are welcome to contact me at mjr at abetterworld.net. It is written up on our website at abetterworld.tv, where you can also get our free newsletter. And remember that we are a 501c3. We charge low fees for what we do, from counseling and coaching to our workshops, which meet twice a month downtown, and our uh, retreats and our promotions. So please know we're doing what we can to moderately profit so we cannot cost anyone too much in particular and yet have a sustainable revenue so we can continue to provide you the various services that we have. So thanks again. This is Mitchell J. Rabin. And I look forward to seeing you all week, next week, I mean. And remember, don't get eclipsed. (laughs) See you all.